Welcome to another episode. I'd like to say thank you to everybody for your patience. Um, good news is, though, this is an awesome guest. I'm excited to bring you guys this episode. But first, before we get started, if you're interested, check out newfarmsupply.com, guys. Not new, uh, You can still get 20% off anything. I was actually going to talk about Nature's Image Farm first. Uh, but so... Grant Schultz still has some stuff there. He's got fiberglass uh, posts. He's got some uh, some batteries, some gas cans, and some tree grafters. So use 20% or use code word sample and save 20%. Big update with Nature's Image Farm. They're still taking deposits right now for hogs. They have 2.5 hogs left. I bought a full hog this year. Going to get half to the butcher, then I'm going to butcher the other half myself. Pretty excited about it. Um, and now... Nature's Image Farm is also a nursery. So email naturesimagefarm at gmail.com and ask Greg. He has apple, pear, plum, cherry, black locust, ginkgo, ginkgo trees, and comfrey. Our good friend James Blask is almost done with the site. So pretty soon all you'll have to do is go to naturesimagefarm.com. And last but not least... Become a urban farmer or just become a profitable farmer. Check out Profitable Urban Farming. Click on the link in the show notes. The first link will actually save you $100 off the purchase of the course, and you can join the community. Otherwise, just do what I did and do the payment plan. All right, guys. Enjoy the show. and gentlemen welcome to another episode of the sample hour i'm happy it's been a bit of a hiatus but i'm happy to bring you this guest um if you've talked to me in social circles you know i'm a, a big um i proselytize the message of profit first <laughs> i'm happy to uh have on the author mr mike mccallowitz thank you so much for joining me today sir Oh, Drew, it's a it's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for for being a prophet, brother. A prophet of the prophet first book. That's kind of funny. Yeah, kind of cool. I, you know, I try, and and you know, I was I was talking to you a little bit before we hit record. Just you know, a lot of stuff I talk about is you know small scale farming and and small businesses, and um and I think you know the the way I the the great thing about your system for anybody that hasn't read your book, um is it it really lines up with any business and the way you have it structured. Um, so, you know, something I, you know, I wanted to talk and, and kind of, and I guess let's, I guess what we could probably do is give the audience kind of a history of, of why you came up with this system sure, and, and who you are for anybody that doesn't know who you are. So sure, Mike, sure. if you want to kind of give a, a rundown of, of, you know, how you got started in business and, and, you know, how you got on this path and kind of figured this system out. Yeah. So uh, the the quick background is I, I ever since college, well, I did have a job for a very short period of time. I've been an entrepreneur uh, and had the good fortune. Uh, and it really was fortune, meaning I was lucky of selling two businesses. The first one I started was acquired by private equity. My second company was acquired by a fortune 500. But that good 
luck uh, turned into a horrible mindset. I, I believed I had the Midas touch. I believed that business success was pump and dump, you know, grow fast, uh, do everything for growth. And at a certain point, that big client will come or maybe someone will acquire you. And that's what happened to me. And all that money will be realized. All the profit will be realized in the some future point. So then doing this twice in a row, I said, clearly, this is the formula. So I decided to become an angel investor. I now lovingly call myself the angel of death. <laughs> I I think I was the, the worst angel investor of all time. I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't pick complimentary companies. I just, it's just people I ran into and met and said, oh, that's a cool business idea. And uh, since I'm here, I mean, I'm so cocky. Since I'm here, we'll be successful, you know, and um, put money into them. And none of the businesses succeeded. They all fell flat. So instead of starting one of my own businesses, I started 10 other people's businesses all simultaneously and uh, really stepped into it in a bad way and uh, lost everything within a couple of years. Everything I had earned, all the, the money I'd quote unquote saved, uh, I blew away. But it became a restart for my life. Um, it was an extremely difficult period for me. I actually went through depression and and some serious challenges. But it also was this kind of wake-up call that uh, not only do I not know all the answers, I know basically none of the answers. And I had to reinvestigate parts of my life, uh, my business life. And as I went piece by piece, I started writing uh, journals about it, saying, you know, I did this wrong, I should have done that. And those journals became books. Uh, and so I've written multiple books, Profit First being my most recent well, Surge is my most recent, but Profit First is being re-released actually on February 21st uh, by, by Penguin Books. And um, Profit First, I wrote this book because I, I had to reinvestigate my understanding of profitability and, and how wrong I was about, how wrong I was going about it. And uh, so that book, really I wrote for myself to fix my own problems. And now I hope it serves many other entrepreneurs in, in addressing their challenges with finances. Absolutely. And in the and I got I'm 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 on the uh, I'm on Audible quite a bit, so I got to get your your other books too because the other one's Paper Toilet Paper Entrepreneur as well. That was my first, yeah. And that was and that's just kind of about kind of starting out as I'm guessing from the idea you want to go as lean as possible with startup and and and, and you you preach that message too and profit first and um, I do and and that's something that I kind of want to. You know why? You know why I wanted to have you on was you know I talk about you know small scale farming is is a big deal for me, and I think in in a lot of it is just because I you know I'm I'm really for decentralization and really for um you know getting I mean it's just it's it's simple I mean I think if people the more old skills and the more skills we learn you know the better the better you can kind of navigate through life and I think and I think a lot of times you know people. In any business, but I, I even see it in farming. A lot of people, I I see, you know, like personally, like I, I started a small scale farm last year, and I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't put that much money into it. Like I put a couple grand. Um, another fr friend of mine put in, I think he put in, I think it was like sixteen grand just with tools and education and everything. But a lot of times, you know, people talk about you know how to make this transition, so you're doing it from part time to full time. And, you know, one thing you talk about in your book is, too, is people not paying themselves first. And and I think that's, like, really important. And I don't know if you kind of want to elaborate on that. Like, you know, it, let's say I'm a farmer and, and mm -hmm. I'm like, well, how do I know when I'm having a profit with the traditional accounting system? And I felt like personally I felt like I was like, man, I, 
I felt like I knew what I was doing in business. Like I felt like I was pretty savvy, but this this accounting shit I just feel like it's kicking my ass. <laughs> it's really like I thought I was a lot smarter than what I was. And then it's yeah. like, what do I do with the money that's coming in? A lot of it was coming out of my own pocket for my job. And then it yeah, was hard yeah, to and yeah. it was hard to, to get everything. And then and so I, I guess, you know, if so we can kind of tackle that, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were talking about you you lose as a toilet paper entrepreneur. And in that book, I it's more than just living frugally. I I've came to realize pretty quickly on that when we intentionally provide ourselves with less, that yeah, it does force frugality, but the other far greater thing is that it brings about innovation. We look at problems in a new way because we don't have a, a common, obvious solution. We have to find something new. And Profit First, um, it kind of it's kind of a hack because it, it uses uh, our behavioral wiring to our advantage. So there's a concept uh, called Parkinson's Law. This is a theory that was presented by a guy named Northcote Parkinson. His first name really was Northcote. And uh, <laughs> Northcote, um, this, this guy lived, by the way, in like 1950, 1960s, I think when he passed away. So you know, this is, a, this is a 1900s theorem. And what he did was he challenged the traditional economic understanding that as demand increases, that supply will increase to meet it. You know, this is called the demand supply curve. The more demand there is for something, the more vendors and other things will will appear and and uh, produce to match the demand, and he said that's perhaps true in traditional economic theory. Theory, but when it comes to behavioral economics, meaning the way we, our mind works, is actually the the polar opposite. The more supply, I'm sorry, the more yeah, the more supply there is of something, the more our demand will increase to consume it, and what it means is basically availability to to a degree dictates consumption. So, for example, if I served. Uh, a plate of a small plate of cookies with two cookies on it. And I served a large plate of cookies with five fifty, say fifty cookies on it. The small plate, you can only eat two. The large plate, fifty, you might eat, yeah, you have first two, right? These are good. You might have three or four, or maybe even five. So the large plate will actually automatically result in greater consumption. Well, this doesn't just apply to food and and all things. It actually applies coincidentally to toilet paper, hence the toilet paper entrepreneur. You know, when you get a brand new, when you go to a bathroom and there's a brand new roll of toilet paper, people like tear through that. But yeah. when that roll is like barely, like there's barely anything left now, people become like so, uh, they use such a scant amount. I mean, they're, they're so conservative. It's just, you know, funny. Yeah. So, so it's toilet paper, it's cookies, but it's money. And it really, really gets amplified with money because money is such a, a visceral connection to us. It means more than just a number that it kind of defines who we are. So as the checking accounts for our businesses grow, as, as the deposits come in, we will automatically behaviorally respond by consuming more of it. We, we up our spending and, and it all feels justified. It's not like we sit here and say, Oh, I got money. So I'm going to blow it. No, we say, well, I need that equipment. Oh, I need the nice car. Oh, I need this. And we justify it. Conversely, when there's no money, in our accounts, then our behavior radic behavior radically shifts. We we say, you know, I need to uh, I need to make some collection calls, or I need to sell something to someone. And no, we're not going to buy that equipment because I can't afford it. So when we have no money, we become conservative, 
And we also become innovative. We find new ways to generate income. Uh, we, we find, you know, maybe I needed, this is a true story. I needed a new desk in one of my businesses. I didn't have the money. I took a door that was abandoned, basically. It was, it was a door that was removed and just sitting there and made it into a desk. Just put a piece of plywood on top of it, and that, that became the structure for my desk. And uh, what, profit, what we do in Profit First is we intentionally, as money comes into business, we intentionally and most importantly, preemptively remove profit. So money comes in, say a thousand dollar deposit comes in, we'll take a predetermined percentage. Maybe it's 10%. So a hundred bucks will come off the table, immediately get reserved to profit. And what I mean reserved, it goes into a bank account called profit. It gets hidden away from us. We don't see it. And now our business has a little bit less to run on. It's not a thousand dollars. We have $900 to run on. And our behavior will automatically start shifting. The less money we see available, will become more frugal. That's you know, nice, but the important part is we become more innovative. We find better ways, less expensive ways to get the exact same results. And we've now guaranteed our profit because we've taken our profit first. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think even as like an individual, like I, uh, I've ever since I read the book, like I, I went and I set up my accounts for my business and I'm not really doing much with it now. I'm, I'm actually in the process of like changing from being more of a farmer to just more of a connector. Like I'm going to, find customers for farmers and just take a percentage mm -hmm. and to me it just it makes more sense because it was just kind of like a, a problem but just in like my personal expenses so it's like you know okay so i don't i don't make as much money as i was by by a long shot when i had my full-time job but i needed to transition so i got um you know so in on a, when you get so i qualify for unemployment so when you get it you could either put it on a card or have it put in your account so my purpose had it put it on a card so i could force myself to live off of that expense mm. and then i i actually canceled my debit card where i got my severance money so it was really hard for me to use that i removed it from my amazon i changed like my netflix and everything so it's just so I, because there's a temptation because i did just get this this you know this nice sum of money to say hey sorry you don't have a job anymore but i could either just blow that money or i could really try to hold on to that so if i did need to invest in something for a business or a structure or anything like that, I could, um, as long as it fit those standards. So, um, and I, and I think it's, uh, you know, and I, and I, and I just even think like for business wise, it just makes so much more sense. I mean, I, I think just it, it, now for, and, and this was something I, I didn't actually put this in the outline, but do you, do you think like, even let's say you don't own your own business, but you have your own job. Do you think it's a, it's a good idea to structure it that way as well? just for your income, like put it in separate accounts. So you yeah. Can, and, and I think, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you probably include more of that in your revised copy. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, yeah. I was just thinking about that because even, um, just because I think it's easy, you know, thankfully when I took my last job, it was just to have more money to, to figure out what I wanted to do as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, you know, I never, I mean, I'm like, I never upgraded my car or my house or anything like I, I, I just, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to keep the same stuff because I knew I wanted to get better, but I, I didn't necessarily have the tools like with profit first yet. So I guess, you know, what I'm trying to, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you think if, if people are starting to do this, it, like it, it, it should probably start with their, their personal accounts and then m migrate it. I mean, you want to do it all at once. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, it does make sense what you're asking, and I do write about it. I call, I call it the profit first lifestyle. That's true. Yeah, you did write. About yeah, that. yeah. And in the new book, I I've enhanced it further. I, I think it is important, I, but ironically, I don't think to do it all at once is actually a prudent move. And the reason is is I found that when we are encouraged to make a radical change in our lives, we have a much lower success rate than if we're asked to make a very moderate or simple change in our lives. So there, there was a study, and actually it's, it's written in a book called um, Switch by Dan Heath and Chip Heath. And these guys wrote this book, and they were looking at part in behavioral change, like what makes us switch. Uh, and they're talking about how smokers stop smoking and these different things. And one thing they found is that there was a study done with people looking to improve their cardiovascular fitness. And the traditional regimen, if you're looking to get cardiovascularly fit, is that you should run three miles three days a week, you know, just give or take. Yeah. And the way they did is they took two groups of people, and one with the control, meaning they gave them the standard uh, prescription. You, you 100 people, we, you want to get cardiovascularly fit, run three miles three days a week. You're not a regulated runner. You're a couch potato. Now you're going to start doing that. Okay, go. Okay. And they go do it. The next group was the test group. And what they said was, and they use this concept of small, super small steps of lowering the bar as opposed to raising the bar. They were told, hey, um, do you watch television? And everyone in the group said, yeah, I watch television. They said, well, do you sit when you watch television? Yeah, I sit on the couch. Are you willing to stand when you watch television as opposed to sit? And the compliance was extremely high. Everyone said, yeah, of course I'll stand when I watch TV. I want to get cardiovascularly fit. So it was such an insignificant ask. But the impressive part was two or three weeks later, they check the groups. The control group that was running three miles three days a week, the failure rate was already like 50%, meaning no one had stuck with this regimen fully. People were dropping off very quickly. They missed a workout or something. Conversely, the compliance for the group that was asked to simply stand in front of the TV was 100%. Like everyone just, you know, I'm sitting there anyway. I might as well stand. Then they went to that group and said, instead of standing, are you willing to now walk in place? You're standing anyway, right? So it was another small increment. Uh, and then at the end of three or four weeks, they interviewed this group again. The compliance for that group that was now marching in place, upwards of 100%. The group that was told to run three miles three days a week, now the failure rate had, had been almost 99%. Like I think one person was left doing this. Everyone else had not been able to keep up the regimen, and many had just dropped the routine altogether. It was a month and a half into it. Fast forward, and you know you can keep fast forwarding. Walking in place for that control group came from doing jumping jacks, came to you know walk around the room, came to during commercial breaks go outside and come back in, around the block. They kept on making these small increments until about six months later, eight months later, it was running three miles three days a week, and the success yeah. rate was like eighty percent, where the the original group was, everyone had failed, and so with, so I I, I take that that principle and apply it to the impl implementation of profit first. And what I believe is that we need to take small steps. If I tell you we're going to change your lifestyle, we're going to set up all these different bank accounts uh, to proactively serve and save for different purposes in your business. Uh, we're going to serve these different needs you have in your business by setting up accounts and we're going to do these transfers and we're going to remove temptation. I, and I, when I do these public speaking engagements, I used to lay out the whole system and say, now do it. And very few people were when I came back the next year to speak to the same group. What I realized is just do one small step. So if, if you have a if you're a business owner, all you need to do right now today is just set up one account, and it's going to be a checking account, and it's going to be your profit. 
And starting today, we're not going to do 10% or 15. We'll move toward that, but we're going to start with 1%. Because it's such a small number and it's such a simple step that if you have $1,000 come in now, I'm saying take 10 bucks and put it away. If you run a business off 1000 bucks, you can run off 990 bucks, And you're not going to get rich. And no, we're not going to correct your personal life and your personal finances in this move. But we're going to start winning over the principle. You're going to start understanding how this works, this pay-yourself-first principle. And then as we move along, we'll improve the business. And as we improve the business, we're also going to improve your personal life and start saving accounts there too. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, and uh, so now let's say you're starting fresh with a business. Like let's say I want to become an Uber driver or I'm going to do Airbnb. Right. right. Do you think it like if you just start your business out that way and you set up accounts so I'm going to have, you know, these expenses and everything like that? Because I think, I think that's more common. I think more people are, are likely – they're not as crazy as us where they, they you know, I, I don't want to work for anybody else. I just want to work for me. But they, right. they do want to have, you know, that 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 part-time side hustle or that part-time way that they can make extra money, especially with like Amazon Flex out now and Uber and Lyft expanding. And, there's, and I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities like that. Do you think um, do you think immediately if, if, if you don't know a way, if, you, if you've never run your own business before, do you think that's profit first, you know, setting up those accounts right away is, is a good way to do that? Yeah. And I, and I can say that categorically, it is the best way to do it. We have, and this is just our, our estimate and this is on the high end, but we estimate about 30,000 business owners are, have implemented profit first, uh, over the last three years. And what we found is that the smallest business owners, the ones who start early, the earlier they start and the smaller they start, the more successful they are. The, the bigger the companies, they already have these expectations on what they're going to spend. They even have terms like, well, our monthly nut, and, you know, what we, they're already kind of entrenched in the sell to pay expenses kind of mentality. We got to grow, 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 which means expense, 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 and profit will happen one day down the road. But these startup businesses, these early stage solo practitioners, they don't have another experience to, to point to. So when we tell them, you know, take 10% of that money and we're going to put it into a profit account and remove it and and live your you know, run your business and live your lifestyle off the remainder. Uh, it, it's pretty easy to do because you don't have this painful adjustment. And uh, you know when you start up as a Uber driver, you know maybe maybe you're not hitting out of the park right away. Maybe you're doing five hundred bucks a week or something, which is nice, but not crushing it. I know some Uber drivers that do like you know two thousand, but I mean those guys are just hauling fourteen, six, eighteen hour days every single day. But you know if you do five hundred. 500 bucks. That's not bad. No. Um, but, but then you allocate 10% of that or 20% of that. So you allocate hundred bucks, then you live off 400. And since you're, you hadn't experienced that in your lifestyle before your lifestyle will adjust to living off 400, but that hundred bucks that piles up behind the scenes you know, at the end of the year, that's over $5,000. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a huge chunk of money as a kind of a bonus at the end of the year. So the earlier you do it, uh, the better off you'll be served because you don't know otherwise, and it will become an entrenched mentality. And then every time, and this is the key, it's called the wedge. Every time, once you establish a routine, every time you get a bump in your income, so maybe you start hustling, and now that five hundred bucks a week is now seven hundred or eight hundred. Maybe maybe you start approaching a thousand bucks a week. But as it starts bumping up, that bump up, half of that money uh, goes into the profit. So if I was taking ten percent of the $500, so I was putting away 50 bucks, 
But now I bumped up to $800. That's a $300 difference between 500 and 800. We'll take 50% of that. So that's 150. So now I'm putting 200 bucks away. But also my lifestyle went from 450 plus the difference of 150 if I run the math right. So now you have a $600 lifestyle, but you're saving $200. So as you get momentum, you can save more, but your lifestyle continues to improve, meaning your, your income to yourself continues to improve. Absolutely. So, Start early. Absolutely. But I also think for the tax, the tax account too, I think that's huge because I, oh yes. Cause I think, uh, I'm still, I'm still kind of like, kind of have this idea in my head cause I'm so new. Like I had a, I've had a couple businesses recently that I really kind of went out and tried to like keep my books and everything. I'm still kind of like, hopefully I didn't screw myself in taxes. <laughs> like like right. I think, I think I've done it right and I'll, and I'll learn more when I, uh, Work with uh, with my uh, profit first accountant that I uh, that I got, yeah. um, and uh, but I, I think you know especially as an Uber driver I think you know I, I think if you I, I well there's a couple things I don't think enough people kind of consult with accountants and then at the same time I, I agree I, and I don't think because I remember reading you know Ralph Stanley's book The Millionaire Next Door you know the biggest thing I got from that is find yourself a good accountant and. Yes. Um, and it, but at the same time, I think, you know, it, I, I could see somebody with Uber, you know, there are tax advantages. You can write off your car, you can write off a lot of miles, but you have to make sure that you're still putting aside money or even like a, a 1099 employee. Like my, my friend, he does uh, video editing and he was thankfully saving money, but man, was he surprised at the amount of money he owed in taxes. Um, so I, I think that's, I think that's, I mean, that's one of my favorite parts of profit first is because, you know, you're always putting in 15% in an account that you don't right. touch ever. Um, so you don't get screwed. Right. So the full implementation of profit first has multiple accounts and this it's a little bit of a wake up call when you realize a thousand dollars, for example, came into your business this week and you've allocated 10% to profit, but you also allocated 15% or 150 to taxes. You've also allocated money to the operating expenses, you know, uh, that car, maintain, maintenance, fuel, so forth. Uh, and you've also allocated money to uh, paying yourself a salary for the, the employee kind of role you, you serve. So the money gets put in these different boxes, buckets. It's kind of like the envelope system. I'm sure someone in your family tree, Drew, has done this. Yeah. Uh, my mother's done this. She used to work at a local factory, and when she'd come home and cash in her check, she would divide up that cash into like a food, a physical envelope, an old manila envelope. She'd have one that said the word food on it, and she'd put the food money in there. It was maybe 20% of the money. Uh, 30 or 40% would go into our mortgage, the family's mortgage envelope. My father and mother both contributed to that. And, and then there was one for the community, give back to the community, and, and so forth. And what's interesting is you – you start appreciating when you go to the food store that you always have enough money. Now it doesn't mean you have the same amount. I mean, sometimes she was sick and didn't work a full week. Other times she worked overtime, but you may do with what was in that, that account. The second thing is with tax specifically, so we have to realize we have an obligation. I mean, a real obligation to the government. We are basically a government agent without them calling us that, <laughs> that when every dollar we make, we have a legal responsibility to give that to the government. We're collecting money in turn to give it to the government. So we, to, to do this properly, we should be proactively reserving that money uh, to, to pay the government the, the, the required taxes. But the, the second component is if we don't do that, we experience a behavioral phenomena called loss aversion. And what loss aversion is, is once we possess, when something's in our physical possession, we put much more value in it and we'll go to extreme measures to retain it. 
a, a great example is like an automobile. Like say you're eyeing up a, a nice red Porsche or something. Every time you see it at the local dealership, it looks beautiful. It's a great car. It'd be fun to have. Say then you go hog wild and say, you know what? I'm buying that thing. The second you own it, it's no longer something that'd be cool to have. Now this is this is the coolest car of all time. You, every time you take a picture, the Porsche just happens to be in the picture. <laughs> you know, you know, it, it now becomes this possession. And if you get a pink slip because you're not making the payments on the car, we will go to extreme measures, maybe get a second or third or fourth job just to keep it. We, we may even drop the insurance on that Porsche and keep it in the garage and never drive it just so we don't lose it. We do things that are illogical to possess what we already have. And that's called loss aversion. Well, it happens with money too, is when the government comes knocking and says, you owe us this much money, we feel an aversion toward that because it's my money. The government's taking from me. The reality is we're legally required to reserve this for the government, but we see it as the government taking from us. So then we go to extreme measures to prevent the government from taking it from us. We incur expenses to reduce our tax liability, spending $10 to save 3 or $4. And we do these other uh, illogical things. The, the, the tweak with Profit First is when you have a tax account set up and your business saves those taxes on your behalf, when the government comes knocking, it's not you personally losing the money anymore. It's the business paying for you your taxes on your behalf, and it negates that loss aversion. We it's still listen, it's still not a, a a walk in the park, and we're all excited to be giving the government money, but we don't feel that loss aversion, and it prevents that illogical reactionary mode uh, when the government when the business pays for it for us. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. I think. Uh... And I, and and I think too with uh um now you know another another you know envelope or account I wanted to tackle is um and this is funny Mike because I thought I had this idea in my head on what I wanted to talk to you about but yeah. as this conversation goes it's always like you know this is probably a better direction we could break down each account um you know so for owners pay so you know like I was saying earlier I didn't know how I, I last season I didn't know how to pay myself. And people mm -hmm. have these different ideas about, you know, when you are part, when you do have a part-time business and you're working a full-time job, you know, you, sh you shouldn't pay yourself while you're doing it. And, you know, kind of reading your book and, and seeing, you know, why, you know, in, in that certain, you know, even with a handout, why, if you're, if your business is making from zero to $250,000 a year, you, you pay yourself 50%. And, and I think a lot of it is, you know, because making money and then not, I mean, it's it just, I feel like per, psychologically it's more rewarding and I, I think it's easier to, to with the, with the system, you're like, okay, well, I know this is my money and this money I don't touch. So then you just get used to that money. Um, is does that make sense or my, it totally right makes path? sense. Yeah. It totally makes sense. It's, it's this behavioral response, this Parkinson's law where we adjust to the money is available. just like the toilet paper and, um, it, it becomes very natural. Uh, another example, just to really drive this home, I, I love to use is toothpaste. And tonight, when you know someone listens to this this show, uh, brushes their teeth, there's one or two situations they're going to face. They'll they'll pull out their toothbrush and they'll pull out the tube of toothpaste, and it'll either be a new or newish tube, or it'll be a near empty tube. And what's so fascinating about this is if it's a new tube, we we'll put on like a long bead of toothpaste on that toothbrush. 
and you know we'll turn the faucet on to dampen the toothbrush and sometimes the toothpaste falls in the sink and you're like that's it's disgusting in there all that bacteria and just pure disgustingness and we have a new tube so we use that toothpaste but if that tube of toothpaste is almost empty like the whole the whole game changes like we pulled out we're like oh my god I, I thought I had more more toothpaste so we start twisting the tube and we bend it we put it in the door jam and slam it my my favorite moment I call it the turtle moment is when you have the tooth brush kind of wedged in your teeth and you're pushing as hard as you can with both thumbs on the toothpaste tube to get the toothpaste out. And you see that toothpaste turtle poke its head out just for a second. You try to put it on the, the toothbrush and it shoots back in. Yeah. Like <laughs> that. What's fascinating about that is uh, we will then use less toothpaste. One little droplet of toothpaste on the toothbrush is fine, but we get extremely innovative uh, around how we extract the toothpaste, twist, turn, slam, cram. We do things that we would never do with a brand new tube of toothpaste. The lesson here is when, if $1,000 comes in and we take the full 100%, we're giving ourselves a full tube of toothpaste. We will default to using it excessively. We, we don't even notice, but when that toothpaste falls in the sink, we're like, that's gross. Uh, so we we use more toothpaste. If it was an empty tube, if anything falls in the sink, we're scooping it back out. Like, that's all I got. So when we only give ourselves 50%, for example, of the top line income, we will give ourselves an empty tube of toothpaste. Yes, we'll be more frugal. We'll use less of that toothpaste, but we're going to become innovative. We'll find ways to still get the same results, but we'll twist and turn things. We'll find that we can live a very similar lifestyle for ourselves personally on less money if we just think of new ways of approaching stuff. But the remaining money will get divided up some toward profit, and, and profit is a unique account. I'll, I'll explain that in a second. Some toward tax, like we talked about. So when the government, you know, money's due, the, the business pays for it. And some for sustaining the business itself. You have to have that money. What, what I like about the profit account is this is a, a re account to reward you for having the courage of starting a business. The owners pay that 50%. That's that's your lifestyle. That's what you live your life off of. Your, your life lives up to that standard, but not beyond it. The profit account is money that we distribute, and I suggest actually on a quarterly basis. But when that money comes out, that is a reward account. This is not to go back in your business. This is not to be plowed back or pushed back. Those terms simply mean that we haven't been uh, uh, innovative enough uh, and frugal enough with our current business. So it never goes back into the business. When that profit comes out, that's a reward for you having the courage of building this business from the get-go, from, from, from being an investor in your own business. And you celebrate with it. And a celebration may be actually my next goal is I want to get a nice electric guitar. Uh, so when I have my next profit distribution, I'm getting an Ibanez. Uh, but uh, you may not see it as a guitar or maybe a nice dinner out, or it could be savings for your future. Whatever you see as a reward to yourself and gives you satisfaction, that's where the profit goes. That makes sense. Um now, what about so? I mean, so if let's say I I have a full time job and I'm I'm doing a part time business and I'm doing this profit first system, would you recommend trying to to just live off of that owner's pay and then saving everything else from your job? I don't know if that makes sense. Like for for the transition, you know what I mean? Like trying to budget it down to what what that owner's pay is in your business. Um, if you if you had another job, I'm a little yeah, unclear. Yeah. So let's say. Uh, I uh, let's say I'm working a full time job like I was, but I want yeah. to transition to like full time small scale farming or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm doing it part time, and I let's say I have the profit first system set up, 
and I have these accounts. Now, should I should I try to switch so I'm living from this the the profit first system, and then oh, great, I got I got you. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and it's a brutal shift, uh, but we want to rip the bandaid off. It's funny, like I, I talk to people that are starting a new business, and they say I, I can't afford to make less than a hundred thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars a year. And I say, well, why that number? And they're like, well, because of my current lifestyle. So what happens, and that's another behavioral principle, as we acquire things, as our lifestyle grows, it's very easy to expand. It's very hard to contract. It's, it's again, it's a loss con- uh, aversion component. So now that I have my mortgage, now that I have this and that, I, I can't lose that, Mike. But the reality is, if you are willing to live in a box on the corner of the street, you can run a business extremely effectively and not take home money. Any owner's pay or very little because you've adjusted your lifestyle. So if you're starting a new business, my challenge to you is are you willing to adjust your lifestyle to live off of what that business can yield you on a part-time basis? If you're willing to adjust your lifestyle accordingly, as that business grows, wow, you know we, we have a real shot at being successful because your lifestyle – will now grow along with the business as opposed to the business scrambling to try to get to where you were. And there's this constant stress, you know, is the business going to make enough money today? No, damn it. And and we start resenting our business. So the entrepreneurs who can take a step back in their lifestyle, sometimes a significant step to get a business off the ground, they have given themselves a full runway for this business to launch. The the entrepreneur says, I got that hundred thousand dollar lifestyle and my business is paying me 25,000 bucks. They've given themselves, you know, basically a few months to take off. And if it doesn't happen, they're done and they're accumulating serious debt. Yeah. Now, I, I know you talk about it in the book and I think we should probably share it here. What are your thoughts? So let's say I, I want to start a, a business and I just and I want to, you know, buy some tools, but I don't necessarily have the money to, to buy tools. Let's say I want to start a farm. Um, mm-hmm. Now. Would you ever now? Is it ever really a good idea to take out a loan if you know if you don't even have your profits coming in? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a risky game because we don't know what's what's going to work and what's not. I'm not a big fan of loans unless we have a consistent and a highly confident way of making profit. Meaning, if I if I'm doing something and I know that doing more of it's going to yield more profit, I think that's a really smart loan or some kind of funding, external funding. When we don't know what we don't know and we put money into it, there's a good chance we're going to make a mistake. So then, you know, we need that farming equipment. Like I cannot start a farm without anything. How, how do I do it? This is where we have to get innovative. Can, can, is, you know, is there a way to beg, borrow, or steal? Are there other farmers who are willing to give it to us at an extraordinary discount? Is there someone that's willing to do it on a consignment basis? I mean, there's some guy selling equipment online on Craigslist that we could use and he wants some cash. We call him and say, listen, I need equipment. I don't have cash, but I am willing to do a deal. Uh, I, I have a farm and you, you can validate it and check it out and even come on by. I'd love to get your insights too. And I'm going to use your equipment, but in exchange, I will share with you uh, in profits up to double what you're asking. So you're asking for $150, say, for that one piece of equipment. I'll pay you 300 as the profits come in if you're willing to take a risk on me. Um and so you can start finding these innovative ways to to get the things that are necessary without that down or upfront cash. Um, but maybe you can find 
really highly innovative ways of doing something in a new way. Uh, one of my favorite examples is is with a company I I co-own. It's a small manufacturer in St. Louis, and we make leather products. It's called Hedgehog Leatherworks. And what we did is we if you're in the leather industry for the type of work we do, you need a couple pieces of equipment for sure. One of them is called a clicker press. It cuts out leather. Another one's called a molding press. You use it to put a form in leather, a shape. And uh, we started doing profit first, this method I was telling you. And we started allocating uh, revenue that came in immediately to profit and owner's pay and so forth and taxes. And we realized like right out of the gate, like we don't have enough money to afford a, cl a clicker press. Like we, the necessary equipment we can't afford it. Molding presses, forget it. They go for like 20, 30,000 bucks. So what we did is we had a few hundred dollars in our account. We said, you know what? We're just going to go to Home Depot and see what we can find there. And, um, you know, they had weird things for sale. Like we, we literally bought just experimental stuff. We bought like a microwave oven. I'll never forget that one. And we bought these <laughs> other things. And uh, we started testing. And I, I won't tell you what we found because now it's proprietary, but I'll, I'll tell you what doesn't work. A microwave oven does not work. But what a microwave oven does is if you put leather in it, it basically turns it to flubber. It can bounce around a room and stuff. <laughs> but what we found, Drew, is that you can apply heat in a unique and very inexpensive, but basically superheat leather. And it'll take a mold very quickly without uh, necessary heavy equipment. You can use basically a very lightweight press, uh, not even a press, like you basically almost use your hands if you heat it properly and cool it properly and you can do it really inexpensively. So we figured it out. Now our competition and why I won't tell you the method, our competition doesn't do it. The way you always do it is you take a loan, you buy a molding press, you buy a clicker press for, you know, $20,000, $50,000. And that's how you get started. We buy supplies for under $200 and we have something that actually, actually we believe is faster. We know it is, it's faster than a molding press, more effective and it's you know one one hundredth the cost. Our profitability, no surprise, jumped significantly. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, uh, it's a, it's a long-winded answer to but look for innovation versus loans. Like try to be innovative versus getting you know using money to solve a problem. Yes. Like try to use your brain. That's what I. Yeah, and you got and you got to ask you got to ask big questions. Yeah. You know, say, I'm, I'm not taking this loan, but I need to get the equivalent result. How do I achieve X when I have nothing? Yeah. And just let your mind chip away at it. Yeah, I, I know for me personally, like, because uh, I'm 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 scaling farming back more so to to you know just work with. I, I felt like for me, like I'm a I'm a networker and I'm a sales guy. Um, so it was like my least favorite part of farming was farming, but I do have this equipment. So it was like, well, what could I do? Well, I could find other farmers and help other farmers and set up some agreement to where I can share my tools with them or, or help yeah. them in certain ways so I can get a better percentage of the sale when I sell, sell their, their services or their, their produce for them. So that's like some ideas that I'm kicking around in my head now. I love it. And I love it. Be I love it because you're talking service. And when, when we make a product or deliver some kind of good, like, like, uh, you know, vegetables from a farm, for example, when we deliver a service, the the necessity for equipment goes away because you are the equipment, it's the person, it's your mind that you're selling. So we, there's no, there's rarely any startup costs, and the time to start up is usually instantaneous. Meaning you can just do a, a, an email or a phone call to some people you know today, and maybe you'll land a gig. Yeah. So it, yeah, if you, if you're strapped for money or if you're in a startup phase, 
always look at a service-based business to start. They're the most and ex- least expensive, and they're the fastest to start. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense, and I think there's a huge opportunity for it too. Because I think in a lot of ways, customer service just kind of stinks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, especially I think uh, you know Mike Rowe talks about trade jobs and and contract work, and it's it's like there's so many people that just paint. So I feel like painting is a really low entry way for contract work, and most people that. I got, I just like just for horror stories that I hear from people that want to redo their houses or have something else or there's just things they don't want to do. And it's just like, you know, nobody ever talks about, man, this painter came, he was super friendly. He, you know, he smiled at me. He listened. It's usually, you know, they showed up late. They showed up. Oh yeah. And it's, I don't think, you know, something my friend Curtis Stone says it, you know, to be successful in business in the most part, you just have to be better than average. And that's, and the bar is not that high. It's shockingly not that high. I, uh, I literally just two weeks ago got engaged for a speaking engagement. And the guy that I'm sharing the stage with is Mike Rowe. And I, I was unbelievable. He does like five speaking engagements a year at max. He, he's rarely speaks. And they said, hey, are you uh, – we want you to do speech and are you willing to do the introduction of Mike Rowe? I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, big time. And so I, I've been – I've always been a fan uh, of his since Dirty Jobs. But now I'm a, a rabid f- consumer of his podcast and so forth. And hear a lot of his philosophy about the you know traditional kind of tradesman work and its importance and the massive opportunity there is exactly what you said, according to Mike Rowe, or at least what I heard from Mike Rowe, is that a lot of these people that go into this space, it's currently, is because there is no other alternative. They kind of fell into it. But there's this slow, subtle, but increasing rise of people are going to space who that are really sophisticated business minds, and they're going to space and starting to elevate the game. So I think the opportunity is still there in in these kind of tradesman type spaces that, yeah, the bar is kind of low. You, as long as you're better than average, you're fine. I think as smarter and smarter, smarter people move into this space with more business acumen, that service component is going to go higher and higher. And I hope it does. I mean, that's what our country needs. So I hope it does. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. I think there's like, you know, if there's a time where you said hi to everybody, you walk by on the street. Now people are <laughs> kind of sucked into their cell phones and they just look at them. But now yeah. it's it's kind of transitioning because it's like, you know, it's, you know, people are, I think people are, are recognizing via the internet, like they're, they're finding their, the people that they feel like they belong with through the internet. And I think it's, and it's a good thing. It's, I just look at kind of like, you know, podcasts are a great way to do that or, you know, finding books. And then it's now it's like, you know, I could, I, I read your book and I could just send you an email and now we can have a conversation and. And kind of like, and it's and it's always interesting because it's it's always like, oh yeah, we we look at things very similar, and I think I think that that's that's kind of where it's coming to because it's everybody is, is is, and I think it's it's the advantage of the internet. It's everybody's reading the same things and realizing the same things, and it's and it's just I think for me it's like you know what didn't I like about any contractor I dealt with or even when I was working that well people are kind of rude they don't have good manners so mm-hmm. it's like man, you have good manners. It goes a a long way. And then it's like, Oh, like I'm not like, you're not traditionally somebody that messes with leather probably, but no, no. but you could Google it and you could look on the internet and figure out, Oh, there's probably a better way to do this. Um, yeah. 
And yeah, and I found that there's also nowadays, uh, there's really an opportunity to play out your true idiosyncrasies, your uniquenesses, and it's embraced where it used to be kind of repulsive. Like you, you had yeah. to be kind of generic. But now in any space, if you really play up your true characteristics, uh, you know, the, the term authenticity gets thrown around. It's, 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 a fair, it's a fair term, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it will reject and repulse some, but man, will it magnetize others. Uh, you know, isn't it cool to have the, that contractor guy who, you know, likes to wail on the guitar and you like it too. And, and, and you're, you're connecting with someone, you're vibing with someone who gets you and happens to do a real nice job on the plumbing work that needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd rather hire him or her. Absolutely. No, that makes perfect sense, man. Um, well, Mike, I know you got to go. So I, yeah. I, 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 I I'd want to talk to you longer, but uh, I know you got a, you're a busy guy. You got other stuff to do, do, and I want you to be able to plug. You know, where if you have any speaking engagements that people can buy tickets to. I know you have your new book coming out in February, so yeah. If you want to plug all that stuff and where people can find you, that'd be awesome. Well, thank you, my liege. I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity um, to do a little self promo. Uh, if you're interested in coming to events, I, I do travel all throughout the U S a little bit international too. Um, the best site is my website, which is my name, which is the most brutal name of all time. So there's some shortcuts. My name is Mike McCallowitz and the site's Mike McCallowitz.com. The shortcut is this. If you go to Google and type in Mike Spacebar and then Mick M I C, uh, the longest, most Polish name on the planet. That's me. Just pick that one and I'll bring it to my site. Uh, alternatively, my nickname was Mike Motorbike in high school. So you can go to mikemotorbike.com and that'll find me. But on my site, there is an events page that, that says all the active events are coming up. Uh, and hey, maybe we can meet up at, at one of these cities and, and hang out and throw back a beer. That sounds um, awesome. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And then with my book, uh, I've written four books. Profit First is being re-released as a revised and expanded edition, February 21st. So you can go to Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, you know, the local airport, <laughs> wherever you get books. Um, February 21st, it's going to be everywhere, and uh, I, I hope it serves you. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, thanks again for uh, coming on, Mike, and hopefully I can uh, figure out another way to get you on. I had a, I had a blast talking to you. And, Thank you. Uh, and I'm sure everybody else enjoyed the show. So thanks again, guys, for tuning in.